MSW Media. News was wearing. Daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, January 6, 2021. Today, we find out if Pence will do his job and read the Electoral College results. The authorities now have a motive in the case of the Wisconsin hospital staffer that intentionally spoiled over 500 doses of the COVID vaccine. Lawyers for Kemp and Raffensperger respond to Trump's 13th hour lawsuit. The Georgia runoffs are well underway. Florida is using Eventbrite to distribute the COVID vaccine, and it's a train wreck. And the case for impeaching the president. I'm your host, A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Holy moly, it's a hair on fire day, Dana. It really is. So much news. We're still waiting. I'm, uh, we, don't, we don't know things. There's things we don't know. And we're still, yeah, we're just, we're getting through it. We're the opposite of Tyrion Lannister. I drink and I don't know things. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's happening today. Um, uh, but I got some great emails this morning. I heard back from our former Solicitor General, Neil Katyal. He's also the author of the special counsel regulations. And uh, he, I was going to have him come on in, uh, to the show and talk to us about his case for impeaching the president. He wrote an op-ed in the New York Times with Sam Koppelman. Together, they co-wrote the book Impeach, the case against Donald Trump. And uh, I, you know, I, and I also had um, gotten some interest back from Asha Rangappa, who also wrote a piece about why she thinks we should impeach the president. So I was going to have like an impeach a palooza today. Fantastic. And uh, I heard back from them. So I, I, we will be talking to Sam Koppelman a little bit later in the day. Uh, a little bit later in the show, and we've got Asha Rangappa with us as well, former FBI special agent, um, you know, and uh, CNN legal analyst. So it's it's a it's a great day of interviews um, of people who agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful, you're killing it. <laughs> That's what I do. I just surround myself with people who want the same things I want, and. Uh, um, but I, I do play devil's advocate a little bit and I bring up some objections to impeachment and we discuss those as well. So I think it'll go well. And then of course you and I will, will be reading the good news. I don't know if anything's going to top. No pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> what happened yesterday? <laughs> I mean, now there are two sides to every story. Oh God. There's, we could do this all day long. Oh, it's good. That's just going to be the gift that keeps on giving much like Total landscaping, right? Totally. Just like the Four Seasons, which was between a crematorium and a dildo store. So there's really has been, if we, once we get over the anxiety of the hell from the last four years, if we think back to like the really funny moments, like if we weren't in the middle of like, Mm. you know, the crash of democracy and the rise of, you know, autocracy yeah yeah. autocracy and fascism some of this is really funny uh if you can separate it which is what our job is to do so yeah i'm thinking back to like big dick toilet wine and hot tub crime machine there's just so many so many good things but uh we will start talking about that later in the year today we've got a lot of headlines to get to let's hit the hot notes hot notes All right. Lead story today is obviously the Georgia Senate runoffs. Uh, The exit polling data is coming out slowly. Georgians today are choosing between Warnock and Leffler. And then on the other race, that's that pits Republican Purdue. He was a former CEO of Reebok. I didn't know that. Um, 
against newcomer John Ossoff, who, if victorious, would be the youngest person elected to the Senate at age 33. He's a baby. Um, these races, as you know, will determine the balance of the Senate. Currently, there are 50 Republicans in the Senate and 48 Democrats. Well, 46 and then two independents who caucus with the Democrats. Um, both of the Democratic candidates are using every last second to get the voters out to the polls. Uh, as you know, we record this show in the afternoon, so it's still Tuesday afternoon as we record this. Um, the The returns of the numbers haven't, the polls haven't closed yet as we record this. Uh, the Ossoff campaign has made over 1.5 million phone calls to Georgia voters, and that number just blows me away. It's a beautiful thing. And... Um, and, and, and they, they're doing that because they were outspent uh, on television ads by by his opponent, um, Purdue. So, you know, that's that's sort of where they are with that. And Warnock is out like feet on the ground, boots on the ground, knocking on doors, talking to voters, um, focusing a lot on um, churches. You know, he's a reverend. And, and so he's, you know, just focusing on his uh, where his wheelhouse is. And he's really getting the vote out here last minute. Now, Democrats have smashed the early voting and Republicans are really counting on their voters to turn out day of voting. Right. Their goal, they said, Republicans said, Carl Rove said, if we can get one million total voters out on January 5th, we have a good chance of winning. He predicts that that would give Republicans the advantage. So we'll be watching those numbers closely. Here are some early exit polling results. Uh, when asked if the 2020 presidential election was conducted fairly, a majority said yes. 56% of Georgians said yes. 41% said no. And that skews heavily Democrat because 93% of Democrats says it was fair and 76% of Republicans say that it wasn't. Ooh, that is a big partisan divide. It is. And then when asked about confidence that the runoff votes will be counted accurately, 42% said, said they were very confident and 31% said somewhat confident. So that's 73% there that they're confident uh, and the rest are not. Um, then we have some demographics on the electorate in Georgia. 54% are female, 46% are male. That matches November. And then uh, for race, 62% white, 29% black, 5% Latino, 2% Asian, 2% other. That is exactly what it was in November as well. Both of these um, match the those November uh, demographics, but it's age that we see a little bit of a difference today um, because it seems that the younger, the, the electorate now is older. Today, 13% of voters are 18 to 29 years old, where in November, 25% of voters were 18 to 29. And then today, 25% of voters are over 65, and back then it was only 19%. But these are early exit polls. I'm wondering if it's just that, you know, older people tend to get up early and vote earlier. I also, I mean, sorry, AG, I just, I also don't trust the exit polls anymore. I mean, we've seen, we've been wrong mm -hmm. uh, with those in the last two elections, you know, so I think they're definitely, we should take it with a grain of salt. And like you said before, I mean, over 3 million people voted early. Yeah. Yeah. Keep in mind, these are day of voters. These, yeah. these numbers are day of voters only. They do not include the over 3 million early votes cast. Now, there have been eight runoff elections in Georgia, and Republicans have won all eight of them. So this would be truly an upset. Which it already has been. And I'm just still trying to stay positive, which was in the mm -hmm. it was in the general a huge upset. No one expected it. So I'm still holding hope. Obviously, like you said, we're recording this Tuesday afternoon. So who knows how I'm going to feel in the morning. But right now, I'm still breathing. Um, but one of the things you and I called, we called this. So was, you remember the Wisconsin pharmacist? 
that pulled those uh, vaccines out of the refrigerator and let them go bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it seems a Wisconsin pharmacist convinced the world was crashing down, told the police he tried to ruin hundreds of doses of coronavirus vaccine because he believed the shots would mutate people's DNA, according to the document's release Monday. Oh, (laughs) this is a pharmacist. This is a pharmacist. That's, yes, yes. Police in Grafton, about 20 miles, that's like uh, north of Milwaukee, arrested advocate Aurora Health pharmacist Stephen Brandenburg last week following an investigation into the 57 spoiled vials of the Moderna vaccine, which officials say contained enough doses to inoculate more than 500 people. Now there's charges pending, as there should be. And basically a quote is he's formed this belief that they were unsafe, uh, the Izaki County District Attorney Adam Jarral said. Uh, During a virtual hearing, he added that Brandenburg was upset because he and his wife are divorcing. Jesus. And an Aurora um, employee said Brandenburg had taken a gun to work twice. Uh, A detective wrote in a probable uh, case statement that Brandenburg 46 is an admitted conspiracy theorist. And he told investigators he intentionally tried to ruin the vaccine because it could hurt people by changing their DNA. Listen, I mean, I don't know if you have seen the social dilemma, but the only explanation I have for something like this, other than, I mean, clearly this is a mental health issue, which I do not take lightly, but I think that we are literally getting disinformation over and over and over. And someone sees an article about this DNA thing when they're done reading it, 15 more articles pop up and they look like they're from reputable sources and people just don't research to fact check. It's, it's terrifying. It's actually very scary. Yeah, we're very susceptible as Americans to disinformation. We aren't used to it. Um, and that's why we got hit so hard by Russia in 2016. You know, Ukraine, who has been dealing with this kind of disinformation forever, is like looking at us like, oh, you knew? Yeah. You knew? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, we thought we, we were like all the beans on it being a conspiracy theorist, and it's true. Uh, although I thought it was going to be a microchip conspiracy theorist, and it's a DNA conspiracy theorist, so. Ugh, God. That 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 person's a pharmacist scares me. Mm-hmm. Um, up next, attorneys for Georgia Governor Brian Kemp and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger on Monday lit into a 13th-hour effort by President Trump to decertify the results of the November 3rd election in Georgia, calling it a belated bid to nullify the ballots of millions of voters. Quote, there have been numerous suits filed since November 3rd in the general election, challenging most of the issues set forth in Trump's motion. In all resolved suits, the claims have been flatly rejected. Lawyers, this is lawyers from uh, Georgia Attorney General Christopher Carr's office, um, wrote that in a filing on behalf of uh, Kemp and Raffensperger. They said, quote, plaintiff nevertheless seeks to disenfranchise millions of Georgia voters at the 13th hour, despite plaintiff's own dilatory and confusing actions. Trump's lawsuit filed on New Year's Eve marked his latest attempt to overturn the results into key state won by Biden. But that's the state's first filing in the case. It comes amid an explosive scandal, the phone call, as we know, where uh, Trump pressured Raffensperger to find uh, 11,780 votes. The legal brief was also lodged just as Trump took the stage in Georgia on the eve of the Senate runoff elections that would determine control of the U.S. Senate. So that's happening. Uh, Trump says, I'm going to be here in a year and a half and I'm going to be campaigning against your governor and your crazy secretary of state. So U.S. District Court Judge Mark Cohen set a hearing Tuesday morning on the Trump campaign suit and the plea for emergency relief. Um, 
And But the judge dinged the president's lawyers for not teeing up the case more quickly. He said although plaintiff's counsel could have requested an immediate hearing over this past holiday weekend and obtained a hearing before the duty district judge, counsel did not do so. Um, and this is from the Judge Cohen. And he also noted Trump wants to appeal the case all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary by Wednesday. That's the day Congress is set to assemble to count the electoral votes. But this just in, U.S. District Judge Mark Cohen has rejected the case from the bench during the hearing Tuesday, um, which Trump's attorneys, including John Eastman, who has pushed birther conspiracy theories about Kamala Harris, um, but reportedly blocked from from being accessible to the public via a live stream remote. So we couldn't watch it, but he dismissed it from the from the bench i <laughs> it's it's a bunch of kangaroo courts i don't understand how these people still have jobs I, it makes me feel like i could be a lawyer i'm not gonna lie it makes me these people make me feel like i could be in congress these people make me feel like i could be a lawyer <laughs> i know i took a practice lsat it's hard i don't know how these people got in right oh well i can i can venture oh. <laughs> I can venture. Um, this one is just frustrating, and it's just a disaster. Florida, bless your heart, in the midst of a disorganized, decentralized, and disappointing coronavirus vaccine rollout in the United States, some states and counties are turning to unlikely tools to get their allotted vaccines out to many people as possible. In many Florida counties, and I'm not kidding, for instance, Eventbrite has become the only way to sign up for the vaccine. I don't know what kind of shit agreement that was with Eventbrite, but apparently this is it. You can get a ticket to a, um, a Nickelback concert when they're back touring and you can get your vaccine on Eventbrite. Uh, as it has done with pretty much every aspect of this pandemic, the federal government is largely leaving it to the individual states to figure out how to distribute vaccines. Each state has come up with its own protocol and priority list. And despite having months to prepare for the tremendous undertaking, many health departments still scrambled to figure out some kind of system, seemingly at the last minute when it came to making sure that people who are eligible for the vaccine can make appointments to get them. Now, unlike many states, they're only giving vaccines to people who work in high-risk professions. Florida allows anyone age 65 and older to get a vaccine due to a last-minute executive order by Governor Ron DeSantis. Ran. Ron DeSantis. Hey, isn't everyone in Florida over 65? I mean, that's kind of a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, there's like one 23-year-old that's on college break and can't go home because of the pandemic. Like, all right. I know. My friend Jorge, who's like 34, sitting there going, what the fuck, bro? That's like that one person that doesn't have status on the airline where they're like, platinum, gold, Copper, and, aluminum, and quartz, Jennifer. quartz yeah. crystal, <laughs> yeah, iron. Anyone in the iron seats? Copper, um, zinc. nitrate. Yep. Zinc. And now Jennifer, you can board the plane. <laughs> this is a quote. I These guys that. are much more competent to be able to deliver healthcare services than a state government should ever be. DeSantis told CNN reporter on Monday. With millions of suddenly eligible recipients and no statewide distribution plan, county health departments in Florida had to find a way to get as many people signed up as quickly as possible. Here comes Eventbrite. Florida's Brevard County planned to use phone lines for appointments, but the phone system didn't work. This was according to The Verge. Now, the only option, the county told The Verge, was Eventbrite, a site best known for offering tickets to shows and concerts. Several other Florida counties, including Manatee, Nassau, Collier, Sarasota, Flagler, and Pasco, have decided to do the same thing. I would really like to know 
and I haven't looked into it. It's just a conspiracy, G. I'd like to know who owns Eventbrite. Mm. Uh, other other Florida counties simply decided to give out vaccines on a first-come, first-served basis, which has led to stories of seniors camping out overnight in hours-long lines to get their shots. I heard this. I mean, this is ridiculous. Hillsborough and uh, Pinellas counties rolled out their own vaccine registration websites on Monday, which promptly crashed along with their phone scheduling services. This is a fucking disaster of epic proportions with this rollout on this vaccine. I hope it I hope it costs DeSantis his job. They should recall him. Don't even wait until the next election. Um just total incompetence from from all levels. And somebody put out on Twitter too, like I don't understand how the fucking National Guard can roll in when we're doing Black Lives Matters protests, but they can't roll in and give us the vaccine. Like what the hell? You know, and I, I was like, I retweeted that. I was like, I can't remember who it was or I give credit right now. But I like I was I'm just so mad about this. This is absolute incompetence, insanity, the rollout of this vaccine. And there's no money behind it. And the Republicans are doing it on purpose. They they gave themselves a huge fucking tax cut, you know, but uh, they they can't save our our lives. It's infuriating. I hope all these fuckers go. And I, I I love that I get to curse as much as I want on the show. I know sometimes they say cursing is a sign of you know not. I don't know what they say about it, but you know what? I don't give a shit because <laughs> I get I get to I get to get it out on this show, and it makes me very happy because I can't curse on the radio like when I'm on Steffi's show because mm-hmm. it's on public radio. I can't curse because mm-hmm. it's on Sirius XM. Mm-hmm. Oh, so this okay, helps me get it all out. Okay. Well, I'm glad. And if you're feeling like, you know, it's you're just tired of hearing about impeachment and you're tired of trying to hold this president and his crime syndicate accountable um, and, you know, you just don't want to you just want to move forward. I'm here to say don't. Um, I don't think so. I, I disagree. I think we should impeach him a second time. Yep. And uh, Sam Koppelman and Asha Rangappa agree with me. I'll be speaking with each of them after this break. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Fight Camp. My gyms are closed, and that's good. We need to be locking down, but I have a hard time like getting motivated to work out if I just have to do the same workouts all the time. And that is why I'm so excited to tell you about Fight Camp. It's an at-home boxing and bodyweight workout that's taught by real fighters, and it's made for all levels, from seasoned fighters to first-time boxers, and kids love it too. Uh, the boxing workout is always ranked as one of the best ways to get in shape. I think it's one of the way, most fun ways to get a full-body workout. It combines cardio and strength training, and it also develops hand-eye coordination. And let's face it, it gets out a lot of stress and anxiety. Fight Camp provides all the gear you need to, including gloves, wraps, and the best freestanding punching bag on the market. And they have this unique punch tracking sensor stuff that shows you the real-time progress and stats on any iOS device. It's really cool. The workouts are structured like traditional boxing rounds. It's high-impact interval training. So you have three minutes of high-intensity boxing and bodyweight training and then one minute of rest. And then you can access over 400 different workouts at all fitness levels and skills. And they have new ones every week. And you can connect with Fight Camp on Facebook. There's over 4,000 members. So you can be part of that supportive community and you have a little healthy competition petition going there and you can watch yourself reach new milestones and you can bring that mentality to other parts of your life as well the fight camp keeps you engaged and focused and in the zone there's endless variety uplifting beats motivating trainers and really powerful technology it all comes together to create a uniquely satisfying workout fight camp offers flexible financing for as low as zero percent apr and right now for a limited time you can try fight camp for 30 days with their money back guarantee just go to joinfightcamp.com beans that's right try fight camp for 30 days and if you don't love it they'll refund your Train like a fighter and turn your sweat into results to try Fight Camp for 30 days. Again, go to joinfightcamp.com slash beans. Again, joinfightcamp.com slash beans. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, Today, I am joined by the co-author of the book Impeach, The Case Against Donald Trump. He co-authored that with former Solicitor General and the author of the Special Counsel Regulations, Neil Katyal. And our guest was the director of surrogate speech writing for the Biden campaign. Please welcome Sam Koppelman. Sam, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So the reason I wanted to talk to you today is that you and Neil have written, uh, aside from the book about the case for impeachment against Donald Trump, you have you co-authored an op-ed piece in the New York Times about why, even though we only have 15 days left in this presidency, why we should impeach uh, Donald Trump. So can you tell us a little bit about, first of all, your top line thoughts about this phone call, how it might compare to the other phone call he was impeached for and, and why this is such a strong case? Yes. So I want to start by saying I was really done talking about impeaching Donald Trump. I've spent a lot of time over the last bunch of years trying to convince Congress to impeach Donald Trump, then working on this campaign to try to beat Donald Trump. We got him. We won fair and square. I would love for that to be the end of the story. Um, The problem is that he's been trying over the past couple months since it's become clear that he lost to undermine faith in our elections. And most importantly, because this wasn't actually a particularly close election, um, I think the most you know, terrifying damage he's done is sort of write the playbook for future wannabe strongmen to try to stay in power after losing a close election. And it's very easy to imagine this having been a closer election, to imagine the House having been in Republican control, and to imagine a similar situation in a slightly different parallel universe um, where this could have worked. And so to stop this from working in the future, um, you know, the more Neil and I were talking about this, to stop a, an incumbent president from wielding the power of the presidency, which is what President Trump has done here, threatening a local elected official on this call, And generally, you know, I think this is one call that's leaked and that we have evidence of, but it makes no sense that this would be isolated. He's trying to win an election that he's lost by several states. You have to imagine he's had similar calls or tried to similarly intimidate elected officials around the country. Um, And we just need to make sure that in the future, there's a precedent set that presidents can't do this. Incumbent presidents cannot wield their power to try to stay in office once the American people have spoken. Um, So for those precedent reasons, it's very important um, to impeach him and to, you know, sort of make very clear uh, that Congress make very clear that this kind of behavior is unacceptable now uh, and and well into the future. Um, The other sort of important note here, a lot of people don't know this about um, the Constitution, but in the same article and section where they um, give the right to impeach the president um, to Congress to remove him from office. They also make it so you can decide an elected official can never run again. Um, And so Neil and I were particularly animated by the idea that Donald Trump through this failed coup attempt, and I think it's important to note that a failed coup is still a coup attempt all the same. I mean, should be treated like it. Uh, Through this failed coup attempt, he's shown that he is not someone who is qualified to be president, who we can trust with the powers of the commander in chief. And we should stop the Trump 2024 campaign before it starts, not for partisan reasons, 
um, but for very fundamental reasons about protecting our democracy. Yeah. And, and you're so right about the, first of all, the abuse of power, right? Because he did this with uh, President Zelensky, uh, wielded his power as the president uh, and his, his threat to take away protection from their hot war with Russia. Uh, and that is an abuse of power. And here he's basically saying on the call, not basically, he is saying on the call, I declare as president of the United States, I am now informing you that what you're doing is dangerous and will cost you. And uh, th these numbers are real. Uh, you might not believe them, but I'm telling you as president and like trying to wield this power over him. And it's interesting, too, that you bring up the 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 fact the number one reason I would like him impeached is because he wouldn't be able to run again. And I just want to I just want to bring up that that's not automatic. Right. That has to be written into the the conviction, I guess, of impeachment. Yeah. So there's so there's sort of like this has gone on a journey throughout American history that's um, probably longer uh, and more detailed than any of your listeners would care <laughs> to pay attention to, um, though I know that they are uh, constitutional scholars. Um, in their midst. But but basically, um, over time, Congress decided that it would be two separate votes. There's a vote uh, whether to remove, and then you have a separate vote um, whether you want to disqualify someone from running again. Um, obviously, re removal is sort of besides the point here because he's only got a couple weeks left in office, whether he knows that or not. Um, what is important is that they take that separate vote um, sort of officially um, declaring that that he cannot run again. And, you know, you'd think, uh, you know, am among the ranks of the people in the Senate right now are a bunch of people who um, are probably also going to be vying for that 2024 Republican nomination. So you'd think, um, you know, even by the own, uh, you know, craven uh, and self-interested motives of, of Republicans in the Senate, um, they might find some more courage to, to vote on this than they did last time. Yeah, but it also seems like they're bending over backwards to not upset Trump's base because it's seemingly very large. I don't see it, but they feel that way. Um, but are you saying that the Senate can have that vote to disallow him to run again without actually convicting him? Or do they have to convict him and then vote for that? So that would be a conviction. Okay. Um, they, so so there's sort of like all this scholarship about um, what's called late impeachments in the literature, which is basically impeaching someone, um, but we start the proceedings where there's not enough time to finish the impeachment. Um, so, you know, if they started now, we'd have to go through the House and get to the Senate and you wouldn't want to rush it. Like impeachment's a very serious thing. You want to be very deliberative about it. Um, and so, you know, likely this vote wouldn't take place right away, um, but it's the kind of thing that would take place in the coming months um, after investigation. And, you know, I mean, I think at this juncture, it's very unlikely that Congress goes through with this. And I think that um, there's a huge sort of inclination towards moving on from Trump, which I understand. Um, and on its own terms, you know, I, that might be the side that I was on, like as someone who's worked in politics, like, ugh, like, why would we keep fighting over Trump? We should start just getting things done. We've got a lot of crises in the country. Let's actually make government work for the people. But mm -hmm. from a precedent standpoint, not responding to this just seems... Um, cataclysmically bad. Um, and it'll be hard to imagine how future generations, especially if people follow in Trump's footsteps, want to be strong men, how future generations will look back on us doing nothing um, to try to prevent that um, with any degree of respect or understanding. So I think that with, with, with those future generations in mind, Trump has once again left us with no choice but to impeach him. Yeah, especially if we have a smarter uh, demagogue who comes in, a smarter demagogue uh, and if there's and the election is closer, 
you know, then yes. and, and someone who hasn't telegraphed that they're going to cheat. I mean, like this is what was so amateur hour about what Trump did here is before the election, he refused to say he would respect the results. He said he would question the election results if he lost no matter what. Um, he completely telegraphed this move and was, it was, you know, his opponents were prepared and ready to be able to go to court. A lot of brave, smart lawyers um, to sort of make the case against him. It's very easy to imagine a future authoritarian uh, playing it much, you know, his cards much closer to the vest um, and sort of waiting it out and then trying to go for a specific, uh, make a specific claim um, after the election and do it in a much more strategic way that undermined trust more effectively. Um, Trump is, yeah, you know, he's a bumbling or authoritarian, but an authoritarian just the same. Um, and he should be treated like it. Yeah. And, and I'm with you. I think this has, for me, this has so much to do with the precedent that we're setting, right? This is, if if we don't do anything, we are saying to future presidents, go for it. And, and that is extremely dangerous. And it also makes me very angry. I'm 100% for this, by the way. And I'm also not a let's move forward person. No, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, we can move forward and hold criminals accountable. And as a matter of fact, I don't think we can move forward effectively unless we seek and apply justice equally to these people. But um, that's my personal uh, view on this. And then also, I have a sense, uh, it, it, for me, it's also because you've mentioned we need to establish the precedent. We, we shouldn't let a lame duck think that they can just get a free pass. And we need to stop Trump from being president again. But I also think that there's just an inherent sense of duty to the Constitution. I'm a veteran. And, you know, my dad was and my grandpa was and my great, great uncle was like going all the way back to World War One. And I find it hard to swallow that there you have a duty in the Constitution to hold a president like this accountable. And if you just don't, you're just you're being derelict in your duty. Do you know what I mean? One hundred percent. And, you know, it, it's it's hard because we mentioned in the piece this idea of a lame duck president essentially being able to do whatever they want if we don't impeach Trump here. Um, you know, you're in your last couple months, you can imagine a much more extreme version where a president said they were going to, you know, bomb Iran or, or nuke Canada unless the Electoral College voted one way or the other. Well, uh, hey, not to be weird or anything, but give it a couple weeks. You know, we, we don't even yeah, no, it's, you know, it's really right. I mean, this is the kind of thing where if you decide that um, a lame duck president is unimpeachable and uncheckable, um, you're not only violating sort of like constitutional principles, as you were mentioning, you're putting the country in danger um, if you establish this precedent. And, and one of the things that the founders did that I think was most important after all sorts of debates about how to make sure that the president wasn't a king. And, you know, there's all these different things in our constitution, separation of powers um, that, that make it so that the president can be checked. But impeachment was left in the constitution because it was the way we could stop a president from becoming a king. It was the final last resort. Um, to stop a lawless president. And it's still there in the Constitution. Um, and if we don't use it when someone violates the Constitution in this way, we've you know, we, we functionally written it out. Um, and that's a really scary place to be where um, the president is uncheckable if Congress um, is held by their own party. Um, and I think that that's uh, a pretty scary place to be, a place we don't want to end up. And, and hopefully as we begin the process of healing the country while also continuing to hold the people who did this damage accountable. Um, one of the important steps to sort of get us to a blank slate where we can move forward is um, finally holding Trump accountable for what he's done. And also 
um, holding accountable all of the enablers who have stood by him this entire time, who are just as guilty um, in this as as he is. Well, what what you do is you give them a medal of freedom, right? Yes, Evan Newton is um, totally <laughs> deserving of that of that medal of freedom. Um, the bravery he showed inspires um, <laughs> me every day. But you're right. I'm with you on the tabula rasa. And I've been with you this whole time. I was screaming for impeachment back during early emoluments days. And then, of course, the Mueller report. I did an entire podcast on the Mueller investigation obstruction from that. And then, of course, it took Jerry Nadler four months to turn in an Article One powers request for the Mueller underlying Mueller uh, grand jury materials. I was like, what are you waiting for? And then the Ukraine call happened and they couldn't wait. And so they were forced into it, I felt. And and I'm just I've been screaming about it the whole time. So I'm very glad that, first of all, you've written the book with Neil Katyal, Impeach, the case uh, against Donald Trump. But this I encourage everyone to check out this op ed in The New York Times with uh, Sam Koppelman and, and Neil Katyal. It's it gives it lays it out all the reasons that we should do this. And uh, I appreciate you coming on today and, and taking the time to talk to us. Of course. Thanks for doing what you do. No problem. Thank you as well. Everyone, Sam Koppelman. I appreciate your time. Oh, can you tell people where to find you on, on the socials? Uh, sure. You can find me at Sammy Koppelman on Twitter, where I do spend some time tweeting bad things about Trump, but also tweet um, highly controversial takes about food. So um, <laughs> if, you're in, if you're in for both, you should follow me. And if you're not, uh, it's okay. Yes, I have a feeling that a lot of folks who enjoy our podcast also enjoy food and tweeting <laughs> bad things about Donald Trump. So be sure to follow Sam Koppelman. Thanks so much. See you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And this segment of the podcast is where I get to tell you about Helix Sleep. This is the most comfortable mattress I've ever slept on in my whole life. And I've had a lot of mattresses. And uh, also, you can, you've can you heard Joelle and Mandy talk about theirs. They love it. Jordan's talked about hers. It's like sleeping on a cloud. It's incredible. And for four years, I wasn't getting good sleep. I was tossing and turning. I thought it had to do with anxiety because of the orange menace in the White House. But I was. it turns out I had the wrong mattress for me. I didn't have a mattress that fit my needs. And that's why Helix is awesome. Because they created a sleep quiz that takes two minutes to complete and they use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. So if you like a mattress that's soft or firm or if you sleep on your side or your back or your belly or if you sleep really hot uh, with Helix there is a mattress for each and everyone's unique taste. I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I like my bed medium firm and I sleep on my side so it's perfect for me but you don't have to take my word for it. Helix was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 and now 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine so just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. Take their two minute sleep quiz they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 sleeps, risk-free. And they'll pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will love it. And Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, joining me now is CNN legal analyst, former FBI special agent, and faculty at the Yale Jackson Institute for Global Affairs, Asha Rangappa. Asha, welcome. Thank you. Good to be back. It is great to see you and talk to you again. Um, we are talking today. It's like impeachment palooza day because yesterday I mentioned it and I was like, I'm for this. I was for it. I was for it when emoluments came up. I was for it when the Mueller report came out. I was for it multiple times in the, in the past four years. Uh, until we were forced into it with the Ukraine call. But now we have a phone call that is 10 times what the Ukraine phone call was. And we just uh, finished talking to Sam Koppelman, who wrote a piece with Neil Katyal. And they gave their reasons, very, you know, kind of 
black and white reasons for setting precedent and not letting a lame duck do what they want. But I want you also wrote a piece for the Daily Beast about the case for impeachment. And I wanted to talk to you about your reasons, because your reasons kind of dovetail more with my reasons, like sense of duty. And we were briefly discussing before you came on the kinds of things like impeachment versus criminal investigations. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit, first of all, your top line thoughts about the call. And then second of all, why you think impeachment is important in this case. Yeah. So my top line thoughts about this call is like, how can you not impeach here? Right. So you you said this is, you know, exponentially worse than the Ukraine call. And I think that's important to note because the Ukraine call was bad. It was an abuse of power. But there was some, there was at least a colorable claim that, that the president could make that he, as president, can engage in foreign affairs and he has the right to speak with heads of state and he can engage in negotiations. I mean, this it was still self-serving, but he had some articulable article two based authority slash defense that he could even make in that case. That doesn't apply in the Georgia call. There is like literally no official reason in the scope of his duties that he should be making that call or even uh, bringing up the things that he brought up in that call. And, you know, there, there are other levels too, which is it's not even just the abuse of power. It's the attempt to leverage his federal authority to strong arm a state official. So you're, you're violating principles of federalism there. Uh, you're engaging in self-dealing behavior. You're, he's obstructing justice in the sense that he is refusing to recognize and acknowledge the rulings of courts, which have rejected his claims, and he's trying to secretly work around them. And by the way, he's also trying to cheat and win an election, you know, that he did not earn democratically. So what I say in my piece, one of the things is, if you could wrap up all of the fears that the framers of the of the Constitution had, that they were trying to put guardrails and protections against into the constitution there they you can roll them up and just listen to this one hour tape and it's all there so it's like it's like he set out to violate you know basically every you know structural and governmental principle that's embodied um into that document right like you have to try really hard to hit all the notes and he did it's hard yeah (laughs) to like hit all you know it's like um so you know so that's why i think that it's worse than the ukraine call and you and i talked also that people are tired because you know he basically commits a crime or something crime does something crime like um on a very frequent basis. And I think people are like, oh my God, what are we going to keep doing? Just impeaching and impeaching. And, you know, what's the point? The Senate isn't going to remove him. And now it's like, you know, there's only whatever two weeks left. What's the point? And, you know, this is where I think Neil and Sam's argument come in that, you know, you don't, there's never like somebody who crimes up until the last day in office, like they, they should still be accountable for it. 
Um, but I think that we should not allow the redundancy um, of it prevent us from using the mechanisms of accountability. You know, if you use the criminal law, like there are recidivists. Can you imagine if somebody who's a repeat offender comes back and a prosecutor is like, oh my God, we got to try this person again. I don't really feel like it. Let's just let this one go this time. You would never do that. In fact, recidivism increases your culpability in our criminal justice system. It means that you're not only tried and punished again, but you're punished more severely. Be precisely because you have reoffended after having been punished and warned not to do it again. You see what I'm saying? And it's really interesting that we have, you know, we have three strikes and you're out. We have all of these uh, frameworks that we use in a criminal context, but for some reason, people psychologically feel like it's fine to let it go. I, you know, I suspect because they believe that if the outcome isn't something tangible like conviction and removal, that it's not worth it. But there is worth in the process itself. And I think people fail to recognize that the impeachment over Ukraine really made a difference. Um, you know, the fact that all of that was aired out about what he was trying to do in Ukraine, this, the smearing of Joe Biden, you know, putting that out there, having people come under oath, that actually neutralized a lot of what Trump tried to do in the month leading up to the election. Right. It didn't really change Trump's behavior, but it impacted how Trump's behavior was perceived going forward. And I think it also kind of restored a little credibility in the United States to other countries globally. Yes. Uh, other countries around the world. And you know, I, 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 I get it. People are tired. People are sick of it. People want to move forward, quote unquote. Um, but I think that that's by design. We, you and I have talked about this, this fire hose of lies, this uh, a scandal a day to tire you out so that he can pick your pocket when you're sleeping. And 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 I think that that's a big part of it, too. And honestly, I, I have to say, from my point of view, you know, you've served the government. I'm a veteran actively wanting Congress to do their constitutional duty is the least you can do. I understand you're tired. Uh, not you, but, you know, I understand people are tired and they might not have the political will or they're just like, let's just move forward. I'm just Biden's here. I'm just done. But if you think about uh, the people who have fought, bled, died, become injured, wounded for the country to uphold the Constitution, all of their sacrifices and the sacrifices of those who came before them, uh, and, you know, all we're asking you to do is to just not shit on the idea. Like, it's like it's the least you can do. Right. Well, and I, you know, in this case, leaving the Georgia runoff election aside, there there's no political consequence. I mean, the election's over. It's, you know, I could, there was at least, I think, an instrumental or political strategizing before uh, the election of how is this going to impact our chances, you know? Right. That and uh, the whole you can't overturn the will of the people, right. which is really interesting because that's exactly what he's trying to do. <laughs> but, you know, those concerns are over. Yeah. The election is over both for president, also for their own, you know, 
their own political prospects. I mean, they don't have to worry about that for a while. And whatever they do now is likely not going to impact those. So, um, and the other thing is, I don't know if Sam and Neil commented on this, but precisely because the Ukraine call, you know, involved, or the, the impeachment over the Ukraine call involved hearings and, and went through like why this is an abuse of power. I, I don't know that it should take that much time. You have a tape, play the tape, drop an article of impeachment, vote on it. Have a vote. I mean, yeah. I don't know if I, am I missing something on like why this would necessarily, like, I don't know that you need to call everybody in. You know, it's not a summary transcript. It's not like you can listen to the call. It's there. Just play the call, have a vote, send it over. Send it over. And and I think uh, another good point um, before I let you go is that once again, we can we can now say, Susan Collins, hey, he didn't learn his lesson, did he? How are you going to vote this time? You know, and you can get get these senators on the record again. Get them on the record. And, you know, the the other thing that I think it's important for people to remember is because I think another reason that people are just willing to just say, "Eh, let's just get past this. Let's just get him out. Forget it. Is that they are, I think, relying too heavily on the prospect of the criminal justice system taking care of this. (laughs) And it's like, it's fine. He'll be prosecuted once he leaves office. And again, the idea that there's going to be a tangible outcome to that. And that may happen. Who We don't know. But I'll say two things. Number one, that's not guaranteed. You know, people watch Law and Order and they think somebody commits a crime, you know, within five minutes and then they're convicted and in jail an hour later. Like, that's not how it works in real life. You know, evidence takes time to gather. Look at Michael Flynn. <laughs> exactly. Um, it may not, once it's gathered, even if it seems obvious to you, you know, prosecutors may not believe that they are going to be able to secure a conviction. Um you know, there are a number of there are a number of other things. I mean, there could be pardons, uh, you know, a self pardon or Trump resigns and gets Mike Pence to pardon him or might not hold up on appeal because, I mean, where are you going to find a, a, a fair jury? Exactly. Exactly. Seating, seating an impartial jury. And the other piece is that the criminal justice system vindicates different interests and concerns than impeachment does. Um, And this is what I say in my piece. You know, the criminal justice system is meant to apply to everyone and it it should apply to the president, but it is setting out a basic code of behavior for everybody, okay? For, you know, the, the barista at Starbucks, for you, for me, you know, next door neighbor. The president has a higher standard. And so impeachment basically allows us to acknowledge that there is certain behavior that is, if it's a crime, it's especially bad because it was the president who did it. Or even if it's not a crime, it's a high crime because the the president did it. You know, because he has particular, con- he has immense authority and power um, and he has a responsibility to use that uh, responsibly in the in the it public's interest, and I think that is another thing about this call is that he is really he's extorting this person. 
He is threatening with political consequences, with legal consequences to, to if, if he doesn't deliver. And I think that everyone should be just outraged by that. And the, the gravity and egregiousness of that, I don't know, is necessarily addressed by prosecuting him for election crimes, just like you would prosecute anybody else for an election crime. Yeah, it's like you, you did. He probably likely violated the law in that phone call the criminal law, uh, but he's also the president and should be held to the impeachment standard, the constitutional standard set out by our founders, which, like you said, uh, these are all exactly the things that happened in the call are exactly what the founders had in mind when they wrote. When Their they heads wrote. would <laughs> explode if they were alive right now. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's like it's like uh, me when I was in the military or you when you were in the FBI. Yes, you could get in legal criminal trouble outside, but then you could also be brought up. I could be brought up on court martial yes. separately because I'm held to a higher standard because I am in the United States military. And you had a position of, of public trust, you know, mm -hmm. um, you took an mm -hmm. oath, you have duties. Yeah. And I think that people should not. Um, it is it is time to make the donuts. That's what it feels like. But time to make the donuts. <laughs> but I, you know, people I think should um, not dismiss why impeachment is important, even with so little time left. I think. Yeah, I agree, and I, I I'm I'm with you too. I think it could be done pretty quickly. But I thank you for your time today. Everybody, check out the pieces in the Daily Beast. CNN legal analyst, former FBI special agent Asha Rangappa. Thank you for for joining me. It's been really great to talk to you again. Yes, thank you so much. Everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp, which is providing professional counseling to help you navigate life's challenges. We all face difficulties and stresses in life, but the important thing to remember is you don't have to face these challenges alone. If you're struggling with anything that's preventing you from living your best life, I recommend BetterHelp. It's not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's licensed professional counseling done securely online. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. You know I've had my own struggles with PTSD and anxiety. I know how important it is to seek help rather than try to take Take it on alone. And BetterHelp services are available for clients worldwide, and they have a broad range of experts in their counselor network, a lot of which might not even be locally available in your area, but you can access them through BetterHelp. You can log in to your account anytime from anywhere and send a message to your counselor, and you'll get thoughtful and timely responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video and phone sessions. And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, too, so it's easy and free to change your counselor if you want. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So visit their website. Check out some of their testimonials. Here's one by user KA who says, Dr. Lennon is extremely caring from day one, and I felt like I was being seen, heard, and challenged to grow. I was nervous about connecting with a therapist online, but all my fears have been allayed. She's exactly what I was looking for. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And you can join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. All right, Dana, it is the good news day. I'm excited. I love the good news day. And we could use a little palate cleanser because I know we're all still on pins and needles. So, mm. yes. First up, we have a submission from Ryan. Pronouns he and him. Ryan says, I've listened to both Daily Beans and Muller podcasts for a long time. I'm really happy to be able to send something in for the good news. And I can't wait for AG and DG to ooh and ah over the attached pictures. 
You ladies have made me laugh and smile so much in times that have uh, been very difficult. Only two more weeks until we can breathe a little easier and not have to wake up every morning wondering what Trump has said or done to make our country look like a laughingstock. Anyway, the good news. Uh, it has been a very busy couple of weeks for my wife and me, so I've just gotten back to be able to catch up on my daily listening, but I swear it was for a good cause. On the 20th, we welcomed the best thing to happen to us all year, our baby girl, uh, Isla. Her, that's a beautiful name. It is. Her mother, uh, her mother and two older sisters, Delaney, soon to be eight, and Kalina, four, do a great job of hogging all the cuddles, but I get my time in where I can. We are all in love and hope that she isn't fooling us with how good of a baby she's been so far. <laughs> Don't jinx it, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Attached are the baby children tax photos. The baby children tax photos. That sounds <laughs> awful. <laughs> Sorry, my phone has been overrun with baby pics, so pet photos will have to. I will have to save if I ever have another submission. Oh, look at this baby's face. See, for me, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, Ryan, the baby pictures will do just as much for me as pet pictures because I'm still... I still go through my phases of really wishing I'd had a little. And so mm-hmm. these, oh, so, so sweet. Look at what a beautiful family. Yeah. Oh, little angels. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you, Ryan. Yes. You were right. Oh, ooh, ah. That's exactly what we're doing. Ooh, ah is right. This next one comes from Mac, pronouns he and him. Hey, Beans Queens. I found y'all last year after listening to opening arguments podcast which i found via legal eagle on youtube you help me keep me you help keep me sane by sharing my outrage and excitement in equal measure 2020 was a shit year but i can't say it was all that bad for me personally i got a promotion and a raise at my job became a homeowner found a bunch of podcasts i enjoyed including behind the bastards and the new abnormal plus i was able to get a playstation 5 after a month of working to find one that is all good stuff attached for pod pet tax are pictures of my parents cat sissy and rukia uh, Sissy was a stray they found and adopted in Georgia. Rukia is the sole survivor of a litter from my ex-wife's cat before she died. Aww. I'm assuming the cat... Says the cat, not my ex. She's fine and we're on good terms. Thank you. Yep, that's following up. The, I had a panic. I didn't see the parenthetical. The cat, not my ex. She's fine and we're on good terms. Okay. We named her Rukia. See, people I don't read ahead sometimes. We named her Rukia because her fur is the same color as the hair of Rukia Kuchi. Kuchiki. Do I should I know this person? I think it's oh, it's from uh, it's from the anime Bleach. I'm not familiar. Oh, got it. Okay, of which um, they're very big fans of this. Apparently, the show. Uh, you can see her here bringing us a, a still. Oh my god, a still live chipmunk from when we lived in Georgia. <gasps> the thing scampered shortly away after this was taken. Thanks oh for god. all you do, including <laughs> listening to 45's hour long waffle uh, about how he quote unquote won in Georgia. The second picture is absolutely hilarious. That is a chipmunk butt. <laughs> it's a chipmunk in the mouth of the cat, but the chipmunk makes it, everyone. The, that's the good news. Look at the cat. Look at the cat. Do I have yeah. to let him go? Do I, do I have to let him go? Mom. So cute. I don't want to keep it. But that's the good news here in this submission is that that chipmunk got away. That's awesome. Oh, all right, I'm going to pop these next two out real quick. That sounded weird. Um, next up from Phil, pronouns he and him. This I'm still laughing about yesterday's story. <laughs> Sorry, Phil, focus on Phil. This tree isn't coming down until DeJoy's Postal Service brings me the rest of my presents. Damn it. I don't care if it takes until July. Sorry, no pictures until my good lens gets delivered. 
<laughs> there you have it, people. There you have it. That's from Phil. And then Brent in northern Wisconsin. Howdy, AGDG and Daily Beans listeners. I love the podcast. I love the community over at Behind the Beans on Facebook. Everyone who isn't a patron and sponsor is missing out on some great stuff. Life is good up here in northern Wisconsin. The Packers got the number one seed in the playoffs. Yes, I know. They beat the Bears. But the Bears are going to. Uh, my household had the Rona, but we fought it off in time for Christmas. Uh, I have a couple writing projects that are coming along really well, and the future feels brighter than ever. I'm an independent author of dark fantasy and horror, ooh, ooh. with six books out in the world. Three of them are an ongoing series about my pal Chuggy, a Tom Waits-inspired anti-hero who battles monsters and other nefarious bad guys in a world called Magmel. If any Beans listeners need a little escapism, search for Chuggy on Amazon. The first book of the series is free on Kindle. It's called Chuggy, that's C-H-U-G-G-I-E, and the Desecration of Stagwater, and I'd love to share it with the Leguminati. I'd be happy as a pig in mud to connect with like-minded readers and writers in the Beans community. Very cool. Hell yeah. Nice job, Brant. Hell yeah, that's right. All right. This next one is from Elizabeth. No pronouns given. Hi, Beanies. Thank you for all you do. We've been the first, you've been the first podcast I listen to every morning since the way back in kitchen table days. I feel way more informed on the important news and facts of the day. Really appreciate the impressive list of interviews you constantly bring to your listeners and feel like I'm just two degrees away from Mary Trump, Renato Mariotti, and Ellie Honing, uh, even if it's just in my head. Plus, you're funny. After hearing the two conversations about visible snow, I decided to write in to tell you about my friend Martha's amazing photography project. Martha suffered several concussions and had a really hard time communicating with her care team about how the brain injury had changed her vision and changed how she saw the world. These visual changes made very day-to-day life difficult. It was hard to drive and focus and really exhausting. Not to be deterred, Martha used her considerable talents as a photographer to show her doctors that she was seeing, which helped improve her treatment. Martha's experience inspired her work with others, experiencing brain injuries to develop a series of flashcards for both medical providers and patients to better demonstrate the visual impacts of a brain injury. Oh, wow. Her project can be found at whatliesbeneathconcussion.com. This is going to this is an ongoing project for Martha, who is an awesome, kind, creative person trying to help folks better communicate about something that is really hard and super frustrating to discuss in words. As for the pod pet tax, I've attached a picture of my big orange boy cat Marky, B-O-I, boy cat Marky. Uh, he is named after Marky Mark. What? Because, uh, as you can see, he's wearing his tidy whities <laughs> Oh, my God. He's 13, a fighter and a lover. I found him when he was a tiny kitten sitting on top of a trash can outside my house in Washington, D.C. I caught him um, with the intent to clean him up, got him shots, and find uh, him a new home. We've been together ever since. He keeps me company as I work from home. He makes me laugh and some days gives me a reason to get out of bed. Thanks for shining a little in the darkness of the Trump time. Mm. That is a very large kitty. That is a huge boy. But wow, Martha, with whatliesbeneathconcussion.com, using her talents as a photographer to show, help, help patients communicate the visual impacts of concussion, um that you know that people to, to to their providers to their care team like the, that's amazing that's incredible that's incredible incredible what a great idea so yeah everyone who is interested in the visual snow conversations check out what lies beneath concussion.com there might be some photos in there that sort of kind of depict what you know what you're uh, trying to communicate with your with your providers but oh look at the toes on this kitty oh, oh just a big kitty he is a big boy. I want to rub his belly, his tidy whities 
All right, up next from Elise. Oh, no, Ellie L. Ellie L from Michigan. Pronouns she and her. Hello, Beans Queens. Love you and thanks for helping me keep my sanity over the last several years while working from home. I work in insurance verification and authorization coordination for a local hospital. And yes, it's more boring than it sounds. Again, thanks for helping me maintain my sanity. Luckily, three years ago, they started having people work from home, so at least that was already in place when COVID started, but I digress. On New Year's Eve, my downstairs neighbors were playing awful music all night. Then midnight struck and they started playing Queen. They played... Uh, I want to break free on a loop for about 20 minutes, then under pressure at least seven or eight times. These are now my theme songs for 2021. We all wanted to break free of 2020, and 2021 is under a lot of pressure to be a good year. After the second or third time for each song, I was singing along and laughing my butt off. Also, not sure who switched over the music from some of the worst club music I've ever heard to Queen at exactly midnight, but you are my hero. Attached are pet tax of my good old boy, Remy, who turned 16 years old on Christmas Eve, and a photo of Lido, the cat wearing the El, uh, the El Toro lid, and a family photo with my in-laws at Lake Michigan, all wearing octopus hats my sister-in-law made, because why not? Oh, it's the octopus hats. Oh my God, they're so cute. These cats are so cute. The dog and the cat with the sombrero, and then the octopus hats at Lake Michigan. I really do love these octopus hats. They're, they're just fun. I know, I, I want one. I want an orange one. Okay. Except I want squid. I want squid pro crow. Like I want to, <laughs> I want a squid with a crow attached to the side. Like maybe just crow wings. You know, I don't know. Squid pro crow. Squid pro crow. I bet you, if you put it out into the universe, whatever you ask for, someone will make for you. Ag. <laughs> I'm putting it out there. I would love a squid pro crow knitted, or crocheted, whatever you do. Hat. Um. Anyway, these pictures are wonderful, and thank you for sending them in. Ellie, I appreciate that. And everyone, thank you for your submissions, too. This is this is a great collection of good news. And I'm so glad the chipmunk got away. And there were no dildos today, so that was nice that you didn't have to, you know. I don't have a problem with dildos. Let me make that completely clear. <laughs> it was that specific <laughs> dildo. That particular dildo. Uh, that particular dildo I had a problem with. Uh, anyway, um, we're going to keep watching the Georgia races. We're going to tell you all about it tomorrow. So do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, everyone just keep on breathing. Keep yep. on breathing. Keep breathing. Keep moving forward. And we will, we can do, we're going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And until tomorrow, everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.